Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Hey, Jubilee family, it it is so good to be with you today to to open up this sacred text, the scripture together to learn about Jesus, to learn what it looks like uh, to follow him and to be in a relationship with him and and all of its benefits. I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this time, not just to open up uh, the Bible, but what makes this all unique is that you're with us, that your presence is here, and, and you're a part of the equation, and we are dependent upon your presence with us. It's not enough for us just to be able to, to read something and, and mentally comprehend it, but we need your spirit to be at work, and we just invite that. We want to recognize your presence among us, and we thank you for it in your name. Amen. Well, every once in a while, I'll, be, I'll just scroll through my phone uh, to look at old pictures, uh, old memories. And I was doing that recently, and I came across this one. Um, this is from last December, December 26th, the day after Christmas, 2019. My family and I, we went to Castlewood State Park, and it was, if you remember that day, it was like 60 degrees. It was just a perfect day. And we just had such a great time that day. Uh, it's a beautiful park, uh, the, the, the environment, the temperature, the, the, the views, and just being together. I mean, just being together. I mean, you could look at, see the smiles on our faces. We are all happy, a family together. It's just one of those moments that you just consciously begin to think in your head, man, I wish this moment would just stay the way it is. I, I want this moment to last forever. I don't know if you've been in that situation before. Maybe it was with your kids. Maybe it was away from your kids. Uh, Maybe it was after a great uh, success at work. You want that moment to stick, but here's the thing. It never sticks. Uh, It it gives way to an argument. It gives way to traffic. It gives way to the hustle and bustle of life. It gives way to sickness. And I, I was thinking this week about how often, you know, you and I, we we try to, as much as we possibly can, recreate those kinds of moments, and, and we seek to avoid negative moments. And it just seems so fickle. It just seems so random, so up and down. In fact, Solomon, the wisest person ever, said that it's, it's vanity. It's like chasing the wind. Now, you and I aren't actually chasing those moments. We're, we're chasing what it feels like to be in those moments. We're not chasing the moment as much as we are chasing the feeling. And we all may have different paths, but we're all after the same destination. We want joy. We want happiness. We want gladness. Well, what if I told you it's possible to have that feeling, to have that sense of joy, gladness, uh, that, that state of being regardless of your circumstances? Well, let me just tell you where we're going today. Paul, in fact, uh, as we study the book of Philippians, Paul is going to uh, sever for us the relationship that you and I have between our joy, our gladness, our happiness, and our circumstances. So much so that, that what he really wants for us is that we would no longer pursue those things in order to have joy. They would become so secondary to us that it, it is not even a thought for us or it's a care for us whether we have them 
or not. And, and to my Christian brothers and sisters, this is such a big deal for us because we are those that chase after Jesus. We are that we call ourselves Christians. We, we, we are those who look at the life of Jesus. We look at Jesus and we say, he's our hero. He's our model. He's the one that we're after. He's the one that we want to be like. He's the one that we want to imitate. And yet nobody would want his circumstances. I mean, you think about the life of Jesus. He was homeless. He had no possessions. Uh, he never married. He, he did not have children. His friends abandoned him when he needed them the most. And one flat out betrayed him. He died the most brutal death imaginable. And yet, and yet he was described as having the oil of gladness beyond anyone else. Today, we're going to learn from a, name, a man named Paul who took Jesus seriously. And he found a joy because he was able to sever the circumstances of his life and his joy, his happiness, his gladness. He found a better way. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to walk through the verses that were read, uh, look at some of the detail of where his life and his values and his situation. And then at the end, we'll, we'll describe really what is the key for you and I to have a sustaining joy, gladness, peace in any circumstance that we so verse 12, he says this. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, I want us to notice his priority here was what was Paul's top concern? Was it his circumstances? Was it what happened to him? Well, what happened to him? Well, he was in prison. Uh, if you're new to us, glad you're with us. Uh, going through this letter together, Paul is writing this letter from prison. In fact, he was probably facing execution, which is why if you go beyond verse 21, he's he begins to externally process whether or not it's better that he lives or he dies. If he lives, he can go on to be a blessing to the people that he loves. But if he dies, then he gets to go be with Jesus, which obviously he says is better. He hadn't quite made up his mind. So he's obviously facing uh, death. He doesn't know if he's going to live another 20 years or another 20 minutes. So he's in prison wait, awaiting execution. But it's not just that. He is literally chained to another Roman soldier. And so he's got this burly, stoic Roman soldier chained to him wherever he goes, at all times, 24-7, seven days a week. He had no privacy. He couldn't go to the bathroom in privacy. He couldn't sleep in privacy. It was a very demeaning and demoralizing situation. But notice how he downplays it. I mean, he didn't even use his situation to gain sympathy. You know, he didn't like take a picture of himself and say, hey, you think you got it bad? Look what I've got. You know, I, you have to sleep against this, next to this guy. He doesn't do that, not because it wasn't bad. He did not downplay his situation because it wasn't bad. But to him, there was a greater priority. So he, he's saying, hey, look, what's happened to me, my circumstances, isn't really what I'm concerned about. Here's what I'm concerned about. I am concerned about the advancement of the gospel. And so if that happens, my circumstances doesn't really matter. Because he says in verse 13, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So he is glad that he is in prison because he realizes it is for Christ. Now, that's going to become really important uh, before we close here today. So Paul, there was a rotation. So it wasn't like he had the same Roman soldier. It's just like, you know, there was a shift. You know, there was a morning shift, the afternoon shift, an evening shift. 
And he had just gone through every soldier. And he's got a captive audience. He's like, isn't this great? I am in prison and I've got a captive audience. I've got someone chained to me. They can't go anywhere. They have to stand still. And now I get to preach the gospel to them. And notice too, so he's like, man, I'm excited about this. The, the gospel is going forward. And I think just as a bit of a side note, actually, it's a big side note, but notice Paul's definition of success was preaching the gospel or making the gospel known. It wasn't so much that people got saved, although clearly he wanted that to happen. And I think that's really, really important for you and I when we think about communicating the gospel, when we think about our really call to be witnesses, it's really important to to know that success for us is being a witness uh, of communicating the gospel, of demonstrating the gospel, and not so much the, the, the result of it. Um, to know that where our responsibility ends and God begins. So our job is to plant a seed. It's God's job to make it grow. Our job is faithfulness. His job is fruitfulness. His job is to do what only he can do, that is change the heart of a man or a woman. You see, he's called us to be witnesses. He has not called us to be defense attorneys. Uh, defense attorneys. Um, excuse me. Uh, the, the job of a witness is to simply tell their story. Hey, this is what happened. Uh, this is what I saw. This is what I experienced. Psalm 107 verse 2 says, has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. We are witnesses. We tell a story. That's what our job is. We are not defense attorneys. Defense attorneys, they have the responsibility for making the case and winning the case. Jesus is the defense attorney. He's the one who pleads our case. He's the one who goes before the Father. He's the one who does that. And here's why this is important. It's so easy to get discouraged in our witnessing because people don't get saved. Well, they apparently don't get saved. We, we honestly don't know the end of the story. We just know what happened in that moment. And do you know that in an actual trial, there are many witnesses, and if you've ever watched a, a crime drama, you've, you probably know this. There are witnesses in a trial who will not be a witness because they think their, their witness doesn't matter and it's not worth the risk. I think you and I do that all the time. We're like, well, that person won't get saved and it's not worth the risk, so I won't. Your job is not to win the case. You're not the defense attorney. You are a witness. You, you are the redeemed. So if you are the redeemed, you tell your story. Have you told your story? One of the ways that you tell your story, the first way you tell your story is through baptism. Baptism is a way of telling your story. And if you've not done that, if you've become a Christian, you've not told your story through baptism, I just want to invite you to do that. If you're in one of our in-person services, tell one of your pastors. If you're online, please put that in the comment, comment section. We would love to help you tell your story through baptism. And if you have been baptized, then you just rehearse what your baptism puts on display. And, and what your baptism puts on display is an inward reality. And that inward reality is that your old life is dead. Your sinful life died with Christ on that cross. When he died on the cross, he took your sin into his body and he, in your sin died with him. And when he was buried, your sin was buried. Your sin is six feet under the ground. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And now you've been raised to life with Christ. Uh, the old is gone, the new has come, and now you have a life full of joy, meaning, 
and purpose. So success for us, success for Paul, success for us is telling our story, being a witness, making the gospel known, and we will leave those results to Jesus. Now, this is, this is not the only reason why we are to be a witness, but notice in verse 14, it's also an encouragement to others that we do so. It says, and most of the brothers have also now become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Here's what happens. This is why community is so important. Community is so important is because that in our, in, in our witness, in our pursuing Jesus, we become an encouragement to other people to pursue Jesus. In our Western world, we get all, we buy into the lie that we are the product of our own individual choices. And uh, most of history and most of the world knows that that's not true, that you and I are, are the result of, of the community that is around us. And that could take us uh, in a downward direction or it could take us in an upward direction. What you and I do really, really does matter to each other. And we can be an encouragement to each other. That's why we group up. That's why we have community groups, because we want to be, a, we know that we, that we want to be having a positive effect on each other. We want to do what it says in Hebrews 10, that we want to stir each other up to love and good deeds. And I'm just so stirred up in my faith by others. I was with a, a friend recently. He's a, he's a member in our Kirkwood location. Uh, his name's Nathan. And he just, man, he was just telling me about like, I don't think he meant to. He was just talking about his witness to, to other people. And I was just found myself just so stirred up and like, man, I, got, I want to do this now. And, and, I, and I'm sure that's true for you as well. So then he goes on to say, he says, uh, it, it gets worse, his situation. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of self, selfish ambition, ambition, excuse me, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So here's what's happened. Not only Paul is in prison and suffering in just horrible circumstances, no privacy, uh, very demeaning, demoralizing situation, but you got to understand like in, in temporal terms, his career is over, okay? So we, we know Paul's writing. We, we, we learn from his teaching quite a bit. But what you may not realize is that Paul was a phenomenal leader. I mean, well beyond his peers. He is essentially the architect for the expansion of the church uh, that really took over the Roman Empire in that era. He, he, he cracked the code uh, for every major city and then through those cities, all the rural areas. He was, his leadership skills were unparalleled. And now that is all gone to nothing because he is in prison and it may be over. And there are some people who, I, I mean, just out of total selfish motives, were taking advantage of his situations. And I know this doesn't happen you know, today in the church, but there are people who are jealous of him. There are people who are jealous of his success. And, and his success became an irritation to them. And now that Paul was in prison and here, his career was over, they're like, now it's our turn. And they thought that by their success that they could inflict the same angst that they felt about Paul's success, but they underestimated Paul. <laughs> Paul's like, hey, I'm not in this for the approval for others. I am in this for the approval of God. And so maybe in this pandemic in your career, like you've, you just felt contained and you're worried about your competitors coming over. Like we can learn from Paul, like even, even when your career is taken from you, even when you're 
you know, like why you feel like your, your, your positive contribution that you make to a business, to a community, to your family, or to even to the church, when that, even when that gets taken away, it doesn't bring Paul down. So in verse 18, he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, here becomes his big joy again, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And we're like, are you sure, Paul? I mean, do you really mean rejoice? And he says, yes. And again, I say, rejoice. And then he says this in verse 9. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, Christ will turn this out for my deliverance. Now, um, that word there, deliverance, what he's not saying there, he's not saying, hey, God's going to get me out of this situation. He's not saying, I'm convinced that God will get me out. And a lot of people read into scripture that like, hey, look, you know, don't worry, God's going to deliver you from this situation. You know, you know, he's, he's going to take you out of this bad circumstance. He's going to put you into a, a good circumstance. It's going to be all rainbows and gummy bears. And, and that's just not true. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying that God's going to turn it out for my deliverance. Uh, there's this guy named Matthew Henry who wrote a commentary on this. And he said this. He says that God is the only alchemist. And if you've forgotten what an alchemist is, it's a medieval term, so who can blame you? But it's, it's the process of, there were people who thought like, hey, can we develop a process of turning lead into gold, basically taking a worthless object, a worthless metal, and making it into a priceless metal. And, and, and what Matthew Henry said, he says, God is the only true alchemist. He's the only one who could take a baseless object, uh, an essentially worthless object, and turn it in to gold. So what he's saying is that God can turn, he's going, this deliverance is really the word salvation, not our, not our salvation, not our past salvation. The Bible talks about salvation in three tenses. Our past, we've been saved from the penalty of sin in, in, in the past. And it also talks about a present sense of our salvation, that we are being saved uh, from the power of sin in the present. And then it talks about a future salvation, which is I, we will be saved in the future. We'll, we'll be saved from the presence of sin, and he'll wipe away every tear, and we'll be in heaven with him in glory. And what he's talking about here is this present sense that God is going to use this situation uh, for my deliverance. So he's, he's saying he's not just going to turn this situation into gold, which he may, which could be the, and, and he talks about that. He's saying how God's taken this situation and he's saving people through it. And he's, he's so excited about that. But he's also saying that God is using this situation. He's not just turning this situation into gold. He's turning me into gold. He's transforming me. He's making me in the man that I'm supposed to be. He's making me in the man that I want to be, which is Jesus, my savior. Romans, he wrote this to the Romans. Um, Romans 8, 28 Verse 29, very famously, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, which again is not rainbows and gummy bears. He says, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. What he's talking about, he's talking about alchemy. He's talking about turning lead into gold. He's talking about turning something worthless into something priceless. And what is priceless in any situation, whether good or bad, is that you and I get formed and molded into the image of the one that we call our great superhero, the Messiah, the Christ Jesus, that we get formed into his image. And this is what he's excited about. And then he just goes on in verse 20 to repeat 
in a way what he's already been talking about. He says, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be put to shame, ashamed. I mean, many people would look at Paul and say, man, that, what a waste, what a shame what's happened to you. I will not be put ashamed, he says, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Um, we have some amazing parents uh, at this church, but I, I just want to uh, brag a little bit on Brad and Renee. Um, as you may have heard earlier in our service, uh, they lost their, their child, their 11-month-old, Mila, last week. Uh, and they, they, are, they are amazing parents. And here's why. I, I, know, I know, because I know them, they, I know that they prayed uh, before she was born and after she was born that her life, that God would use her life to bring others to, into a saving relationship with Jesus. And I, I was just so blown away with them recently um, after finding, after, after Mila had passed away, them praying, God, would you use the life that she lived and, and now use uh, what's happened to her and that she's gone on to be with glory and happiness with you forever. Will you use this, even this, to save others? It's exactly what Paul said. The, the, the cry of their heart is what Paul said. And I hope that it's the cry of your heart. I, I want it to be the cry of my heart that whether I live or whether I die, what I'm really after is that, that Christ would be honored and that people would see that what my life is about is Christ. And, and this is where we're getting to really the point of the entire message is verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. Here is what Paul is saying. Here's the point of all of what we've been talking about this morning, today in the service, um, that here's how Paul could be so robust in his life, is that he did not get, his joy did not come from the circumstances of his life, but it came from the definition of his life. For him, it wasn't whether or not things happened good or bad circumstantially, but the secret was the definition of, his, of life itself. And I just want to ask you, what's your definition of life? What's your definition of life? What's the most important thing to you? What is the thing that makes your life worth living regardless of what's going on in your life? Many of us don't even stop to ask the question um, you know, until something bad happens to us. We lose a job lose a relationship, you know, a pandemic breaks out. Paul had a working definition of his life that enabled him to not only endure this hardship, but actually come out better on the other end, to not just survive this situation, but actually thrive in the midst of it. In other words, to be full of joy. So he's writing to them to not to be discouraged about his situation, even though he's saying, look, I don't even know if I'm going to live another 20 years or another 20 minutes. But he was absolutely unfazed by his circumstance. He says, I am unfazed whether I live or die. I am unfazed whether I am in, in prison or I'm on vacation. I'm, a, I am, I'm unfazed whether I'm you know, suffering or I'm basking in the sun. He's saying, look, my joy is not dependent upon my circumstances. My joy is dependent upon the definition of life, and the same is going to be true for you. So let me ask you again, how do you define 
life, if your career is falling apart and that makes you feel like your life is falling apart, then that's how you define life. Life is career. If whether or not you have money in the bank account, if, if, you're, if you lose that money, if, you're, if it feels like your life is falling apart, that is the definition of life. For, for, for Paul, life to him was Christ. And because life to him was Christ, that can never be taken away. That can never rust or fade. In fact, it just grows and grows and grows and grows. In fact, going through hardship actually increases your joy because you realize how firm a root that Christ has in your life, what kind of grab he has on your life. If Christ is your life, if he's the definition of your life, you'll, you'll have a framework for living that will cause you to be full of joy regardless of the situation. Now, I just have to be honest. Um, this is, this is not a simple thing to do. This is not like, hey, I'm going to do a few things on Monday and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll apply that. Um, this, takes, this takes a lot of reflection. This takes a lot of, of, of it takes, sometimes it takes time. It takes life. It takes going through a hard situation to really to develop this in you. But I believe by God's grace, you can have this and here's how you can have it. And here's how I'm going to end. I'm going to end, but it's, you, you can have this by, by looking to Christ and looking to how Christ has treated you. In John 17, 19, he's praying. It's the final week of his life. And he prays this. He says, I, he says, I now, I dedicate myself to them, referring to his disciples, but he's going to apply it to all of us. I, I dedicate myself to them as a holy sacrifice so they will live as fully dedicated to God and be made holy by your truth. He says this, he says, I, Jesus, I sanctified myself. I set myself apart for them. I set myself apart for them. I set myself apart for them. If you, you know, like an Olympic athlete, um, everything, you know, if, when, when it's, you know, they have the Olympics in front of them, like a year from now, they make everything subservient to the goal of winning the gold medal. I mean, relationships get put on hold, careers get put on hold, everything becomes subservient to that end. And what Jesus is saying is like, every, he says, I've become subservient to this purpose. I've come subservient for their perfection, for their joy, for their sake. Second Corinthians 5.21, we say this verse, I, I communicate this verse almost every time. We'll put it on the screen, but you, you probably don't even need me to. For he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He became so that we could become. He, he took on death. We're going to read about this in Philippians 2, that he took on death. He became nothing. He became obedient to death itself. He became subservient so that we could have life. It's like he had a choice between himself and us, and he chose us. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he he, he did this for us. And when you see him saying, I, I do all of this for you, it says in this passage, so that we could live wholly dedicated lives to God. Not to follow some moral code, not to give up on joy and happiness. Not to, in fact, it's not to give up on those things at all, but actually so those things would be perfected in our life. That in saying to God, I give myself wholly to you, that is how we get joy. I mean, it's like what Jesus said. He said, seek 
First, the kingdom of God. And according to Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. You, you have, uh, and joy is first positional, your righteousness, your standing before God, and then it's emotional. It's, it's peace and joy, the things that we're after. And he says, seek first the kingdom, seek first me, dedicate yourself to me and all these things that you want, I'm gonna give to you. So the way to joy is to fully dedicate ourselves to God, where there is no secondary allegiances. There's not even anything close to that, but it's all about Christ and who he is. It's what Paul said. Paul, the reason why he was able to be full of joy, severed, uh, his joy severed completely from circumstances, whether, whether he's in prison or on vacation, whether he's living or dying, is because to him, life was Christ. And he made a total commitment to that. And that's what I would invite you to today. Um, whether you've never made that commitment before or you've made that commitment and you want to readdress and say, God, I want to more fully dedicate myself to you. I want my life to be about Christ and nothing else. Here's what you need to do. I'm going to, we're going to go in time of worship. And I just want you to look to Jesus and I'm going to come back, and I, and I want to lead those in a prayer. If you've never received Jesus, I, wanna, I want you to I wanna lead you in that prayer. But here's a couple practical things that you can do as we go. One is that just to live as a witness, to make it, to make it your life goal. Like, hey, look, what, what I want my life to be about, whether I live or I die, whether I have good circumstances or not, I want my life to reflect Christ. That's how you can tell if Christ is your life, is that you're a witness to that you're gonna need other people around you. You're gonna need other people to encourage you and spur you on. If you're not in community, get in community. And then finally, prayer. Prayer is dependency on God. Prayer is saying, Christ is my life. Christ is my power. And uh, your community, Jubilee Church, we're, we're gathering this Wednesday on Facebook Live to pray. Um, to pray for all kinds of things. The chief of which is that Christ would be made much in our lives individually, in our life collectively. And I hope that you would join us for that. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm gonna pray for us before we go into a time of worship. God, I just thank you for this time together. Um, God, I, I'm so grateful that you have made a path to joy and gladness regardless of our circumstances. Because Lord, we look at the circumstances of our life and sometimes they're up, but a lot of times they're down. And God, we don't want to go up and down with that, Lord, but we, we want to find true joy in you. We want to make you your life. Or we want to learn the secret of contentment. But yes, we're going to go through times of mourning. Paul went through times of mourning. You went through times of mourning when you walked this earth. You were not, uh, you, under, you understand our weaknesses because you walked in them. It's not that we wouldn't mourn, it's not that we wouldn't grieve, but we would not be destroyed by them, but we would actually be formed into something better. And God, we want that. I just pray for those who don't know you. I just pray that you would begin ministering to them right now. If that's you, I just, if you want to come into a relationship with Jesus, all you have to do is say, I believe in him and I, I trust him and I wanna follow him. And if that's you, the Bible says, if you call out to him, the Bible says that you are saved. And if you've made that decision, I just want to invite you uh, to, if, if you're, uh, to, to tell a pastor, if you're online, to go to the comment section and let people know that you have given your life to Jesus because you are going to need help. You are going to need encouragement.